Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Hulkcast and Aston Villa podcast covering Aston Villa's adventures in the Premier League. I'm James Rushton, joined by Cole Petham and Danny Raza. We're in the wake of Aston Villa's second loss in a row. Guys, Aston Villa lost yesterday 2-1 to Bournemouth in their home opener at Villa Park. Cole, I'll come to you first. How are you feeling after that? I'm more of a reactionary person, so in the moment, maybe I was a little bit more disheartened, but... When you kind of sit back after some time and look at it, it's really not as bad. There's a lot of positives to take. I know it's there's no points given to us again, but there is a lot of positives. Uh, a lot of the stats point in our direction, which, you know what, going into the next game is positive. How do you feel, Danny? Yeah, I'd say I'm feeling pretty similar. Um, I think the only thing that, that worries me is that there's so many strong teams in the Premier League that we really need to start getting the points against um, against this kind of opposition. No offense to Bournemouth. But we played so well. Like, I think one of the things that is going to come out when we're analysing this game uh, today is that there's really not an awful lot of criticisms you can you can make uh, about the overall general play. Uh, it's just, it was, I think what, what, what really is a kick in the teeth is that we pretty much just threw the game away so early on. And I think that's probably why we were all feeling so disheartened. It wasn't like it was a... Um, it was sort of a over the course of ninety minutes, Bournemouth, fair enough, kind of seek, snuck through. It was it was genuinely, guys. We we this is three points dropped. We we should have won this game. Um, I think that's that's the only reason you can feel a little bit disheartened. Yeah, I think I feel the same. I feel like when you're in the moment, as Cole said, you're quite reactionary. Like when you're at the stadium, everything is the worst possible thing or the best possible thing that's ever happened because that's the very nature of following football and watching it at the stadium. But when you're at home as well, you are due to the commentary and how excited they sound and how the match is portrayed. You, you do get lost in the moment as well. And it's very hard to kind of analyze, analyze the match events with any kind of notion, any kind of proper critical evaluation. You kind of get lost in that moment. So I'm glad we've all you know, had a chance to reflect and we're probably feeling a bit more realistic, but Cole, do these mistakes need to stop? We'll come into them in detail but there's been a few in two games so far yeah um for anyone that maybe didn't watch uh Grealish's post-match comments I think he said it best is when you step up to the Premier League any mistake you make is most likely going to be punished and that's happened so far uh two mistakes that honestly shouldn't happen I don't I'll get into them later but uh we continue doing this. It's just going to get worse and worse. And unfortunately, looking at it that way, not trying to be a pessimist, but more mistakes just mean more failure. And with that being said, the fan base is just going to get more negative and more negative, which I try to stay away from Twitter after games and even today because it just honestly gets on my nerves how negative people can be after two games. But no, like... I think people read into certain things too much, and I, I think it's best said with that. How do you feel, James? Yeah, it's the same. It's uh, you know you feel overly negative at the time. People are very, very, very quick to offer kind of paper thin criticism of some things. There's there's genuine mistakes, and I'll speak to Danny about this in a second. There's genuinely mistakes you can definitely criticize. But to kind of jump from almost scapegoat to scapegoat to find the weak link and really, really give him a martyr's treatment after a game, is it's kind of weak. Two games in, it's 180 minutes of football. We've played two good teams. One of them is full of elite talent with a brilliant manager. One of them have got very decent players with a very thoughtful and adaptive manager in Eddie Howe. So it's it's always going to be difficult. And the mistakes, they're, they're frustrating and the negativity is annoying. But I guess it's, guess it's part and parcel of our expectations. But um, Danny, the first thing I want to speak about, so it's Villa 2, um, Villa 1, Bournemouth 2. The first thing that happened, it was seconds into the game. Um, Tom Heaton rushes out and he takes out Callum Wilson. Mistake or not, what are your thoughts here? No, it was an absolute smack in the face. It was poor goalkeeping from Tom Heaton. Now, Heaton's, Heaton's brilliant. I think he saved us on so many occasions. But he's almost just walked into uh, Wilson, like to a point where, you, where you're thinking, what, what on earth are you doing? Um, I, I, he's he's taking him out whilst Wilson's kind of basically running towards the towards the corner line, um, and and if he kind of stands his ground, Wilson probably, I mean, he could squeeze across through, but most likely isn't uh, isn't going to find anything from that angle. He just needed to sort of hold his ground there. 
um, Heaton. And I, I just thought, I thought it was a very silly penalty to go to give away. Um, and it just, I, I think again, it just, it just smelled of basically um, not being ready into the game. This is a problem. I think that we've suffered from, um, I think even, even during Dean Smith's tenure, but like, I think during the, during the last couple of years, we, we get struck so early, so often it's, 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 it's very, very common. Now we can't be chasing games in the Premier League. I think last season in the Championship, we developed a bit of a reputation for being able to come back from losing positions, and that to me points to uh, complacency more than anything. Now I want to mm. ask why that's happening so often, because we will get punished for it more than more often than not. Um, but yeah, to your original question. Absolutely a mistake from here. Cole, what were your thoughts watching this from home? Because I know you've probably just sat down to watch the match. You know, you're, you're getting all your stuff ready. You've probably got the coffee, the tea or the snacks in front of you. You sit down, you turn the volume up, you look up and we've given away a penalty within seconds. Oh, I don't even understand why he came out of his net. Um, being at home, you can see replays and obviously that makes a lot of things better for us but not the people there like yourself that are at the match but uh no i don't understand why he came out because if you even look at a replay wilson's starting to cut in but i can't remember who was tracking back one of the defenders maybe it was angles so he was basically cut off and the next bournemouth player was behind another defender which i I think was mings at the time so the likelihood of that cross doing anything was it's easy to say it now but most likely it wasn't going anywhere so um i can understand his awareness and his concern to come out but just the tight angle of it too i couldn't see it really causing us any problems did you think it was all kind of doom and gloom from there because i think the general atmosphere in the stadium was that was the best possible time to make a mistake seconds in because there's so much time to you know, bounce back. And the atmosphere beforehand was quite ferocious. It was probably the loudest personally I've sung at Villa Park. It, it, you know, it, the the situation almost brought an extra decibel out of you. Um, so, the, you know, how it felt conceding that penalty was, right, it's over. We've made the mistake. We can kind of get back into this. I don't know how you guys felt, Danny. Did you feel like that was the best possible time to kind of make such a disastrous error? Yeah, look, I mean, I, I thought, fine, uh, we're, we're one nil down. There is definitely a way back from this. We just need to compose ourselves. This is something that we're used to. Um, we're, we're, we're always chasing. For, for whatever reason, we're always chasing. So I, I was thinking, fine, let's, you know, let's, let's see where this goes. Um, but I think immediately after that goal, um, we, didn't, we didn't really improve uh, straight away. I think it took us a while to settle in. Um, I think that was, that was really worrying me. Um, past that point, we, we were jittery and shaky, much like the, the second half against Tottenham last week, uh, whereby uh, every time we started moving the ball forward, uh, we'd lose it um, either through sort of a silly pass or being pressed too hard and not being able to react to it. Just again, just being um, just just being a step away from from the from the pace of the Premier League. Um, but definitely at one nil down, you're, you're thinking there's still a possibility here. Well, minutes after that, I think it was probably about 10 or so minutes after, um, Douglas Louise, who was making his first start for Aston Villa at defensive midfield, coming in for Conor Haran, he was trying to play Aston Villa from the back uh, under a high press. Uh, Trezeguet makes a square ball to him, and I think he tries to make this nifty manoeuvre to catch people out, but the only person he catches uh, out is the entire Villa team, because Harry Wilson springs onto it, and the ball's going to nowhere. He's basically made a step over and made a kind of shadow pass to absolutely no one. No one is there except Harry Wilson. He bursts in, he uh, fires a shot. I think it takes a slight deflection off Tyron Mings, but it matters not because it crashes in off the post past Tom Heaton, who can't do anything about it. Bournemouth up 2-0 within, what, 15 minutes? And that's a big, probably even a bigger mistake from Louise, Cole. Oh, 100%. Um, Watching that too, it was kind of funny how it played out because... First of all, I think we've learned a lesson with these two games is that we need to pay more attention when we're right in front of the box because that's the second one we give away. The first one was against Spurs and Grealish. Um, but the other thing with this goal that was really weird was that the way it obviously deflected off Mings and maybe it was just the TV angle, but it looked like it was going wide off the post and would have went out. But the way, it's kind of unlucky too, especially the way it bounced off and then just dribbled in. 
But no, it's it's another era that needs to be stopped. And you know what? Fair play to Bournemouth pouncing on opportunity or mistakes and opportunities that we're just giving them. Uh, whoever had King and Wilson in their fantasy league is probably doing really well right now. Um, I had King, so I don't know if that was making me a little bit happier than I should have been. But uh, no, it's it's another mistake, another error, and uh, it's something I they need to learn quickly because at some point, if this continues to happen, we're going to have to change the tone to we're running out of time. Something has to change. Douglas probably emerged as one of the better performers on the day, and we'll definitely speak about his uh, his moment that he shined uh, later on. But Danny, before the match, he was obviously brought into the team for Conor Harahan. And was that a bigger big surprise for you at all? No, I thought it was the, the right decision, absolutely. I, I haven't got a problem with Harahan, but I think um, I genuinely believe he he's interchangeable with with Mings or Grealish rather than that central defensive midfield role. I think what Dean Smith is doing now is, you know, he's, he's bought these, these talented players and these signings who are going to be able to advance the team. And I think he's slowly bedding them in. Um, but, but Louise is somebody, you know, who can, who can sit back and give uh, Grealish and, and McGinn the freedom to move further forward. Um, I thought that the thought behind that was really, was honestly, it was, it was the best thing to do from, from Dean Smith's perspective. And I think um, also uh, we, we will have seen the way that he played during the game's passing was, was on point. Um, them having somebody who can who can who can play from the back uh, just again allows them that freedom to to do what they do best. I think Douglas improved a lot as he went on, and that goal that he scored was uh, it was really something special. I I didn't see it happening. It was even probably more impressive than than John McGinn's goal because when that ball's looping down, you have every right to take a volley. Um, Douglas Louise was probably even a little bit further out, and he just passed it. He stroked it into the back of it from miles out. Um, I was pretty impressed. What were your thoughts, Cole? Oh no, I was very impressed. Um, a little bit concerned in the first half, looked a little lightweight, but that seemed to kind of deteriorate with that concern going on. Um, almost con- not concerned, but almost wonder if we have to change that middle three formation a little bit, maybe like two center mids and a cam or something. Cause um, with Louise by himself, I almost wonder if one kind of central defensive midfielder per se is too little and maybe that's something to look at in terms of the errors because it seems like that particular player whether it's Grealish dropping deep or Louise dropping deep um with that being said like what's the error here that's they're not clicking into is it simple mistakes or is they're not getting enough support in that position um so I guess I kind of side noted that whole topic <laughs> with what I said there but yeah I thought Louise did great in the second half i mean one hell of a goal for sure just on that call like i i I thought you know there was nothing there was nothing really what wrong with our particular player i think one of one of the one of the problems with spurs last week and one of the reasons why it looked like we were a bit lightweight is that uh obviously spurs had so much of the ball um villa were trying to find the counter-attack but against bournemouth i thought for, for for the most part of that game it worked well because we were on the front foot and we didn't look defensively sort of uh, in in trouble because of just having mm-hmm. Louise in there, did we? I think it was just a case of, it, it was just a case of, of of nerves and jitters. Like I'm definitely in the school of thought that it was just silly mistakes. Oh, for sure. Like, uh, no, that's actually like a perfectly valid like reasoning because I don't know. Maybe I'm just nitpicking at the few instances that I would see that it looked like that one central defensive midfielder wasn't enough, and that's just me nitpicking because that's probably who I am. But uh, no, that's a completely valid point. And yeah, let's move on. I think I want to speak about another defensive midfielder, not Villas. Uh, it's Philip Billing of Bournemouth. Danny, you mentioned him in our preview last episode. Yeah. And I mean, he was kind of everywhere and probably Bournemouth's most, well, I'd say the person we feared the most in midfield. Um, feared for a different reason, though, because he seemed to be kicking lumps out of our players. He was dragging John McGinn down. And there was probably a foul on Jack Grealish, which could have seen him leave the pitch. Um, I mean, I got a text from uh, my mate Dave um, from Cincinnati, and he's basically my VAR guy because I'm in the stadium. I need someone who's always watching the matches to tell me what's going on. Because, you know, you just see a player go down where they dive in. Was it a proper tackle? Did the player get any of the ball? We don't know because you're in the stands. Um, He really thought it was probably a red card. Seeing it, it took the standing leg. Your thoughts on that? Um... The Premier League is brutal. We're not going to get decisions going our way all the time. 
if that is overturned and given a red, uh, I'm not sure whether Bournemouth fans will be very happy. Uh, and I think it's very rare that you ever see a red card for persistent fouling, isn't it? I mean, they're probably... I mean, there probably was a couple of tackles in there which the referee might have turned around and given it, given him a yellow for. Um, but for whatever reason, I think that the referee just seemed pretty lenient uh, throughout the game. To be honest, I think there was there was challenges from a lot of players who were, you know, that were potential yellow card challenges that were just sort of um, left away kind of thing. Uh, but I, I'm not I'm not completely sure here. But my understanding with VAR is that that decision could only be overturned if it was going to be a straight red. Am I right? I wouldn't have the expertise to know, would you, Cole? Because um, I I have really not clued myself up on VAR because it just seems like something that, despite there being existing obvious rules, never seems to be applied in an yeah, obvious honestly, way. You can't give a yeah. second yellow, can you? No, I don't think so. Honestly, I have no clue. Like the the whole VAR thing, still, I've read up on it and it still confuses me. There's a lot of, I think, especially after this season, I think some things will change because it seems like. I don't know, some of the additions and uh, changes they made with VAR don't really make too much sense. Maybe they'll do a better job at explaining it. But I just wanted to touch on the whole Billings thing because with refereeing, and this is the most annoying thing I find about professional football with refereeing, is, and maybe I'm reading this wrong, but I always find they referee the situation instead of like what actually happened if that makes sense like in my opinion billing should have been off like how many times how many times can you foul someone after getting a yellow especially like uh i I can understand where maybe early on in uh, matches where refs don't want to give a red card because they feel it's going to ruin the match and i can understand the premier league maybe um not being okay with that because maybe it ruins their product i'm sure it goes above that and beyond but I don't know. I just feel like ref the situation as it is and don't going to go off of, oh, I don't want to ruin this game because either someone's going to get really hurt or something else is going to happen. And either way, I just, in my mind, I just don't understand what's going on, essentially. If if that makes sense, I don't know. (laughs) No, it makes sense. I mean, you can't can't go around fouling all the time just for the referee to kind of go, come on, mate, you know, just sort that out. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I feel that. And if I could just clarify the VAR thing as well, um, according to the pre- according to the Premier League website, the VAR will not intervene for an incident where a second yellow card leads to a red card, unless the VAR believes the second yellow card should be upgraded to a red. So, um, if anybody was confused about the VAR, that's probably why. Um, but I mean, it's still confusing though because when you're in the stadium, there was only one VAR call yesterday, and that was for a, a no penalty decision against Villa, really, when when uh, I seem like Wesley kind of collapsed in the box. Yeah. Um, but the referee puts his hand to his ear a lot, and you're like, is it VAR? Is it not? And you, you don't really know if a second look has been taken until it comes up on the screen. And by then, it's almost, you know, almost a foregone conclusion that something was happening anyway. But there's so many times when you're just like kind of left in the lurch. It's a very... It's very good on TV because you have a commentator explaining you, and they're obviously sneak, signaled to something. But, you know, the way the screens in the stadium work and the way you're you're focused on the referee while watching and he's putting his hand to his ear, you don't know what's going on. You have absolutely 100%. no clue. But the system's good in the sense that they allow you to play on, though. And, you know, b- because of that, the game doesn't necessarily get uh, interrupted unless it has to. Maybe the the focus on it being such a big thing when it isn't it isn't used all that often, is it? Uh, it's been used pretty like often so far. Like, look at the Spurs Man City game yesterday. Like, that literally canceled out a win for Man City off of something that was a really weird rule. But I won't get into that. But uh, no, it's it. I think it's just so foreign to everyone. It's going to take time. There's going to be aspects of VAR that people love, and there's going to be aspects that essentially people hate. And it's going to be one of those things also with football fans being fickle is if it benefits your team you're gonna love it and if it doesn't essentially you're gonna hate it yeah you're you're definitely preconditioned to being pro or against var because uh, i've read an article about it and you know the name of it escapes me but it, it depends on how you view certain regulations in your own life and how you live your own life is whether you are predetermined to accepting sporting events being played out by the athletes or regulations being enforced by a third party, which would be 
VAR consulting with the referee. But uh, yeah, I guess it's a bit bigger, deeper conversation. Um, yeah, we got deep there. <laughs> that's pretty philosophical, James. <laughs> but uh, it's gonna be, you know, it's 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 gonna be considered throughout the season. And Villa haven't really been on the end of anything major from it yet so I guess we'll save it for another time um, but I thought Billing should have been sent off and I guess Eddie Howe was leaning towards it as well because he took him off at half time yeah. and that's yeah. a definite sign of that guy was going because you you know in the championship you saw it get given for Villa a lot of times when you know a player would go in with a dicey challenge early on and get a yellow card forget they had the yellow card and do it again 10 minutes later and get sent off and the game will be the complexion of the game will be changed and doesn't seem to have happened so far to benefit Villa in the Premier League as it did in the Championship. But again, we're only 180 minutes into the season. There's a lot to go. Um, but I guess I guess the story of the season continues. Um, I wanted to speak about the fullback situation because Freddie Wilbert, he said in no uncertain terms that he's not injured and that he probably wants to be playing for Aston Villa. He hasn't featured so far in the season uh, on the bench or even in the squad at all. Um, Villa have went with Ahmed al Mohamedi, and uh, Neil Taylor at fullback. Danny, is this surprising to you at all? Um, where do you really love this situation? Uh, no. Uh, what um, what I want to know is what have Ahmed al Mohamedi or Neil Taylor done to constitute being dropped? I, al mm. al Mohamedi, I thought played well in both games. He seemed he and I I I know that this is a tired. This is a tired thing, but he he does know how he does know Trezeguet. Um, I, there was a couple of times where he managed to shift through balls to to Trezeguet, um, and and absolutely do the defenders. Um, and it, and, it, and it happened quite often. And I, and I thought that against a team like Bournemouth, you've got somebody like El Mahabadi who's who's strong going forward and is experienced in the Premier League. What? Why would you drop him? I mean, now now you might have an excuse. Because Villa have lost two games, you might say, right, let's get Gilbert in. But uh, just, you know, for the sake of defending Dean Smith here, Esri Concer can also play at right back. So he, he doesn't, he's not going to see any reason to, to have another one on the bench. I think a lot of what a lot of people overlook as well is uh, Gilbert played a lot in preseason and then they convert that to why isn't he playing now? We also have to remember Al Mohamedi was playing in, was it the AFCON? Or whatever it was. Yeah, it was. yeah, so the time he got back was late and all that kind of stuff. And Danny made a good point about the Trezeguet link too, which works out perfectly in my opinion. Because if you're going to have someone that attacking up front, you need someone reliable to stay back. Gilbert wants to get forward. So essentially you don't want to play a winger and a right back that are going to be extremely high up the pitch. It leaves you vulnerable. Um, we'll probably see different defenders come out in different situations this season because of who we signed. I think essentially we've got players that can play with within different scenarios of different matches. So when we're playing the likes of Spurs or City or whoever, you're going to probably see more defensive center backs and more defensive uh, wing backs and fullbacks. Uh, when we play, I don't know, probably like Norwich and other teams like that, you might see, may see Gilbert step in there. You may see Target step in there. I think Target's probably the one that didn't really make sense to me i guess to not start but then again taylor hasn't done anything wrong essentially to drop him um i I guess i think a lot of people are just looking at the fees and saying okay we paid this and this for this guy why aren't we playing him i we can't base how this team is going to operate over fees because if you look at fees it's not going to get you anywhere you could have a player that's 100 million pounds and it turns out he's actually quite crap so like it's just one of those things that you have to base it on what fits your system and at this moment it seems like these two fullbacks fit our system and yeah i mean that's that's the other thing james like what i i don't, I don't know about you but i think you know we, we, we the football we play is so intricate isn't it that if you if you take one of those gears out we I mean, the, the, the whole thing could fall apart. You've already seen that we're making errors, just slight errors. But you, you, you take out Taylor, you take out Al Mohamedi, and suddenly you've got rid of you know um, most of the defense that took us up last season, and, and and suddenly there's something not quite right with the chemistry. It's not that Neil Taylor and Al Mohamedi have done anything wrong at all. I just feel that the wings need a lot more help, and I think that left side mm. and with Al Ghazi and mm. Neil Taylor, that was a real problem because when Jack Grealish was uh, featuring in a triangle, you know, on that side of passing triangle combination. Yeah. Nothing was working. Like 
it was all out of time, out of sync. And then you switch Jack Grealish onto the other side and everything's working. And uh, when John McGinn on that side, he had to really force the situation to get anything almost out of Taylor and Al-Ghazi. And again, it's not that they were doing anything wrong. It's that I do believe that these forward-thinking wingers and targeting will bear. And Al-Mohamed is forward-thinking, so that's why that right side was better than that left side. Um, Neil Taylor got into the box and missed two really, really good chances. And just think target might be a better option on that left side because he does like a cross. And, you know, you, you've only got the crosses really coming in from that right side. Mm. So maybe a little bit of a change there could spark something. I'm not saying will bear and target straight in. But maybe a staggered change. You can, you can, we can afford to rotate. Uh, again, it's too early on to make these judgments, but I'm thinking there is a change coming there. Surely it's going to come at some point. Yeah, there is. Look, I mean, it, it, Smith's not, Smith's not been, uh, what's the word, um, complacent about it. He brought in Douglas Louise uh, ahead of Conor Hurahan this week. And you know that was that was something that might have surprised a couple of people, but it you know he's, he's, he's he gave him gave him some time last week. We kind of saw him come on fine. It's gonna you know he's he'll probably feature a little bit more. Hotter's being brought off the um, brought off the bench a little bit more slowly but surely. We might see him get on the pitch uh, soon enough. He's already trusted Trezeguet and and Wesley enough to uh, to be starting them as uh, as two of our main forwards. Um, and I just think that yeah we need to be patient. I, I don't think. I don't think Dean Smith's trying to freeze anybody out. I don't think he's trying to freeze Gilbert out by any means at all. Um, I, but I just think we're we're probably going to have to just wait and um, wait and see them kind of come in because the defense is is so so important um, in the Premier League that you can't afford to get anything wrong. We've got cup games coming up, though, James. So I, I I can I can definitely see them getting runouts in those. Yeah, for sure. There's rotation coming up. I mean, even that striker, Keenan Davis, is probably going to be tried out at some point. Jonathan Codger comes back. There's cup games coming up. There's plenty of opportunity to rotate. Um, what I did want to know off you both, um, before we move on to giving away our match balls and talking about the real positives of the game, is I wanted to know your opinions on the performance of Wesley, because there's a lot of dispute here. Um People think it didn't get involved enough. People say his hold-up play was well. Cole, I do want to know from you, what have you made of Wesley? Because he was a lot more of a focus against Bournemouth than he was against Tottenham. Um, impressed? Uh, what are your general thoughts? Uh, he's done all right. Um, I, I wouldn't say he's done anything super spectacular to really write home about. Um, against Spurs, obviously the McGinn goal, I thought he played a pretty good part in that taking away a defender and giving him again that space. Um, yesterday, I think it just proved that maybe he needs to work on his hold-up play a little bit more. I feel like I said that last week, so maybe I'm a broken record. I don't know if any of you guys saw Stan Collymore's tweet last night saying that we need to get Heskey in to teach him how to hold up the ball and basically be a better forward. I thought that was kind of funny, but uh, I hope I hope that was a joke. But anyways, uh, no, no. He's young, and a lot of people, again, look at the fee, so they assume he's going to be just like Benteke was when he stepped in and just fire in a bunch of goals. Um, there's a lot of things that are different between them. There's a few things that are similar. Um, I, I just think they're different strikers overall, and I think people looking at that fee, 20, was it 22 million? It's actually pretty cheap for a striker at this current, I guess, time within currency for football players. So it is what it is there. Um, room to grow, still young. I think eventually he's going to get it right. And he, it's only going to benefit us long-term, in my opinion. Danny, how are you feeling about Wesley? I know you're pretty, you're fairly excited, I guess, when we signed him. But I guess realism probably sets in when you consider the task Villa have in front of them to break down these Premier League teams. Uh, I don't know if he did much wrong. Mm-hmm. In all fairness, I, I I thought when Wesley was signed that he's the kind of player, uh, he's the kind of striker that sets other people up. I thought his general play and bringing Trezeguet into the game, bringing Grealish and whoever else was coming forward, I thought I thought was fantastic. I thought whilst he was in the box as well, I thought he um he he did make a, a good impression. Um, I think he he did bother uh, bother the Bournemouth defense. I thought in general what was what the problem was that uh, was that when a lot of um the other players kind of got in they didn't really 
they didn't really finish. But there were a few chances that that, that Wesley had, which uh, he, he did kind of create off the off his own back. And I think he showed that he that he is quite strong um, in that respect. And I, I I do understand his whole holder play needs to needs to work right. Right, sorry, needs to get better. But look how much of an improvement he made since the Spurs game. Mm-hmm. I'm 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 convinced. I'm convinced that it's it's a case of just getting used to the pace of the game. Because there is there is serious talent there from what I've seen, and again I can understand why people aren't incredibly excited about him right now, but I saw signs. I thought I think there was definitely signs from him. Uh, I didn't think he had a bad game at all. If if we're, if we're looking at players who who should have done better, Wesley is not at the top of the list for it. Um, I, th- I thought the finishing all round was was just pretty poor. Agreed. Um, but that's not necessarily from you know just Wesley. A player that we know can do the business, guys, is Jack Grealish. Um, coming home, I saw a number of um, critiques of him. I say critiques, it's kind of bad faith criticism. I've wrote about this at length um, today, this morning. Um, but three things I've picked out um, all involve swear words. And they're, they're about Jack Grealish's performance. That apparently, he's not quite out for the Premier League. But this is a player um, that the you know the regular customers like to joke about and say, hang on a minute. This this guy's not quite out for the Premier League. Um, he's lost twenty games in a row, which is a ridiculous statistic because it goes across three or so years, and including time when Jack, you know, spent as a teenager on the bench um, for Aston Villa. So it's a completely redundant statistic that these, you know, squawker um, talks about are dragging out, putting a little social picture up there, and it's uh, it's it's ridiculous. But yeah, this is a player that created six chances yesterday. He's a player that you know assisted Doug, um, Douglas Louise and found space for him to score. Um, it's a player who most of our attacking impetus ran through, and yet people don't think he's good enough for the Premier League based on on two games. And I think Cole, that's uh, a bit odd considering the standards that we judge Grealish on, and the standards that Grealish himself—that's the bar he set himself. Hundred percent. That stat you mentioned absolutely drives me insane. I, I love it how it's like, oh, he's lost twenty games on the bounce, and then at the bottom it says like it's almost like they should put in small words. Um, like you'd see like a warranty thing that says like, oh, but he he made six pa- uh, six chances the most this weekend, and you know what? Uh, he's he's trying his best. Like, it's, I I don't understand why they say it. I think it's just more content for them, and it's lazy content. But uh, no, getting on that. Um, yeah, he made, I think it said six chances more than anyone else this weekend. And I think just that stat alone says what kind of player we have. It's going to start working out eventually. I think it's one of those things where we just have so many new bodies. Um, it's a different situation than last year. Obviously the quality is way higher. Um, he's going to get it right. And you know what? He could have scored yesterday because there's one that he used on the inside Mm -hmm. of the boot and it almost went in like it was close. It was just on the other side of the post. It's going to start going in for him. Um, it, he probably realistically won't maybe get as many points as he did last year, but he changes the game for us in so many different ways. Danny, how do you feel about it? I thought our general play, again, was was, was brilliant. And I think much of that was due to Grealish and, and due to John McGinn and also also Trezeguet. But yeah, I thought I thought Grealish did, did what you need to do in the Premier League. Win that ball from deep and confidently move it forward. Um, confidently, you know, try to try to you know Im- impose yourself on the other team. I think I was frustrated before with Villa, you know, a few years ago, last time when we were in the Premier League, um, when a lot of our play sort of was about slowly kind of passing the ball sideways and kind of uh, trying to break a team down. Whereas I think what you've seen in the Premier League. Uh, and I think certainly what you can tell from, you know, a lot of the mistakes that we've made is that it's such a physical league that you need somebody who's going to drive. And Grealish does that, you know, as does John McGinn. Um, and, 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 I, and I thought that he, he did that quite well against Bournemouth. Uh, again, unlucky with that chance in the end. But uh, so much of what we created came through him. I think there was... Uh, moments, you know, by that by that left hand side as well, you know, where if we're taking short corners or if we're taking throw-ins, Grealish seems to be doing all the work. Um, I think Neil Taylor obviously, you know, gave it gave it his best effort as well. Um, but uh, yeah, there was times where Grealish seemed to be the guy running that left hand side, but the only the only guy doing it. Cole, I just want to bring up what you said about Wesley um, because I've just seen, um, you know, Stan Collymore's tweet. Yeah. Um, Michael Owen, of course, the famous England striker. Yeah, boring. Um, yeah. Has, uh, he has joined in and said, uh, I'm astounded that football continues to be so far behind the times when it comes to specialist coaching. So uh, plenty of people in the know agreeing with Stan Collymore, but I'm thinking you don't need Emil Heskey. <laughs> Keenan Davis is right there and that guy can hold up the ball. Exactly. Like, 
we have, and like I've said before, we have players and we've bought players in certain scenarios that they're going to fit certain moments of a game and won't fit other games and they'll fit up like, you know what I mean? But anyways, they're going to fit certain scenarios. And Davis is the perfect example of someone you want to hold up the ball and move it. Wesley, you kind of want to do a bit of everything. I just find it hilarious how ex-pros and pundits act like it, they just because they played, they know everything. Um, don't really know how Heskey comes into this. I don't know why they couldn't have thought about anyone else. That not saying he's not qualified, but uh, and I apologize for the dogs in the background. But yeah, it, it's just a funny stat, and it's I don't understand it at all. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it, it's it's an awful thing, but yeah, it, it's again one of these things that happens in the Premier League where people kind of just drag up any old any old rubbish to kind of just make make something to say about uh, the teams they don't really know that much about. But yeah, I think I want to finish on that match now. Um, I think we've spoken at length about it. We went over the points. There's probably some missing things we could have covered, maybe Algarzi, Trezeguet, a bit more, but uh, I think we've only got a limited time, really. Um, so I wanted to get your match balls, the players that impress you the most. Um, you've got one each. Um, I'm going to take it last because I want to give you a chance to you know pick a guy before I step in. So Danny, I'm going to come to you first. I want your match ball um, for the player that impressed you the most against Bournemouth in Villa's home opener at Villa Park? This is pretty difficult, uh, in all fairness, because a lot of the guys in the team who deserve match balls uh, were, you know, part of the errors. Uh, But I think because of the fact that we we did play so well for for much of the game, I want to give... This match ball to Douglas Louise. I know, I know that he gave that he made that stupid error, that silly error earlier on. Um, but we we all do it. We all we. I mean, every every footballer um, has a, has a lapse like that. Uh, but I thought mainly he 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 worked his socks off for the whole game. I thought he he did a good job of being the sole defensive midfielder and um and, and controlling that midfield. I did think that. One thing that did the thing, if anything, makes me feel excited or, or happy uh, th- I mean, from that game, it's the fact that our midfield does look strong. Grealish, McGinn, and Douglas Louise, I think the three of them will really be able to compete. Um, and I want to give it to Douglas Louise. He worked so, so hard to to make up for his early error. And that goal that he scored was was brilliant. Um, just great, great technique. Oh, Cole, I think we know who Danny's going to be sending his Valentine's <laughs> card to next year. Um, who are you going for? Uh, first of all, I'm going to apologize if you can hear a turkey on the back in the background. It's not a turkey; it's a puppy, and he finally has his bark a little bit. <laughs> um, second of all, um, I'm going to go for John McGinn. Um, statistically speaking, and just watching him, he by far had the best game. Uh, I think it was he had six shots on target or no, sorry. So he had six shots and three of them were on target. A lot of the things kind of everything seems like it goes through him and Grealish and more so yesterday. It seemed like it went through McGinn more than anything. Um, so yeah, I'll have to give it to him. Um, I guess if I was going to give it to anyone else, cause I was kind of teetering, I was just going to give it to Wesley to make him feel better. But I think Danny has a man crush. So we're okay. <laughs> Come on. I, 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 I... He's a handsome man. I'm sure. But <laughs> I was going to say what, why, why is it? Why is it? Why is it a man crush, man? I I I I admire I admire cultured central defensive midfielders or linchpins or deep lying playmakers or whatever you, want to, whatever you want to call them. Douglas Luiz. Well, I haven't heard you say this about Conor Harahan, mate, and he's a cultured defensive mate, midfielder. He's, he's not Douglas Luiz, and also, <laughs> you know, I think I, I'm 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 living for the day we finally get our Carlos Sanchez replacement, and I think Douglas Luiz could be the one. I mean, he already looks better than Carlos oh, Sanchez. Right? That's not mile. me being unfair. Um, Carlos Sanchez had an eye for a decent pass, but he was a bit of a plodder, wasn't he? And Douglas Luiz isn't that. He's very box to box, very energetic, and uh, didn't shy away. Actually, I mean, he had every reason to kind of collapse and just fade away, just not be involved, but. He was there. He wanted to get back into it after the mistakes. So fair play to him. Uh, I think you're right, Danny. And Cole, your choice is just uh, just as valid. But I'm going to go for Tyrone Mings. Difficult match. The narrative was all there after the big move from Bournemouth. Didn't look that bad, really. And uh, really grew into the game. Um, I mean, everything collapsed for like 20 minutes in. Yeah. 2-0 down. Defence was battered. Uh, he shows his leadership. And he isn't going to be beaten lightly. I mean, two goals down. 
can't really reflect on him. It doesn't reflect on him at all, actually. I don't think he was really involved apart from the deflection and maybe giving the run of Wilson off. You know, he he didn't want to suffer it again. If Villa conceded a third, it wouldn't be him on him at all. But he wasn't going to let that happen. Tyra Mings, everyone, is a, a class actor, uh, just like Bjorn Engel. So very thankful for him being at the back. And I think that fee that Villa have played uh, looks just like a, a bit bit of business for us, really. I mean, Bournemouth are happy. Bournemouth are really happy with the money they've got off him. But I'm I'm really happy with the player we've got, despite the money well, spent. Funnily enough, neither of those errors were down to the defence, were they? Really? Yeah. Not really, yeah. I mean, Douglas Louise is part of the defence, but, you know, I guess that's uh, up, up for the I, I don't understand, by the way, why so many people were, were on Louise's back by the end of the game. I mean, he made he made the error, but I didn't... I haven't seen the same sort of... I, I haven't seen the same sort of anger at Grealish for his mistake last week and also Heaton's mistake. Um, I, I almost get the feeling that we might... I, we we might have somebody seriously underrated here, from the fans' perspective. I don't know. Yeah, I think it, we'll see. We'll definitely see more from him, and I think we'll it, things will get better as they go along. And I, I mean, I for one, I'm very excited about watching uh, Douglas Louise, and I, I really want to continue, guys. I really want Douglas Louise's rise to continue against Everton on Friday. So it's a quick turnaround. Another match at Villa Park very soon. Um, Marco Silva, Everton manager, they've won one game um, yesterday against Watford, uh, Silver's former club. And of course, they opened their season with a draw against Roy Hodgson's Crystal Palace. Very talented team, this lot are. Um, Alex Iwobi on the bench. Uh, Keane from Juventus joins. Um, Richarlison, Bernard. Plenty of talent in this team, guys. So, uh, I mean, I'm a little bit afraid. I don't know what you guys feel. No, I'm not too afraid. Um, really? They, they play... Yeah, I, I think they... <sighs> They're going to be in the same situation in some aspects. I think some of those players are going to still need time to embed. And once again, I apologize for the turkey. Um, but uh, yeah, no, it's just one of those things where um, um, we can't go into any game, especially in the Premier League, even against the likes of someone like Man City or Liverpool with fear. Because once we, we have to give them the respect, but at some point you just have to go there and put your head down and do your best. Um, I think if we played how we did against Spurs, um, maybe make some earlier substitutions and maybe a few other tweaks. I think we can at least get a point here. I, I don't think the talent. I mean, I, I know. I think if you if you take sort of like Harry Kane out of the equation, <laughs> I don't think that the talent in that Everton team is far off Spurs. When you look at that midfield, you know they've got they've got Gomez, Bamin, and then you know those those three behind the striker: Bernard, Sigurdsson, Richarlison. Sigurdsson, by the way, firstly seems to always score against Villa. I'm not sure about statistics. He's one of those players that you just expect to score against us. Some sort of like mm. benign free kick or something. Um, Richarlison, I, I, you know, he's he's always going to cause you trouble. And Bernard as well. You've got, you know, you've got a lot of possession there. I think that's one thing. Well, I don't know if Villa are going to get a lot, an awful lot of the ball. I think that's the one thing that uh, that that does worry me. Um, and now also you look at it and you think those are two seriously talented wingers when I refer to Bernard and Richarlison. Um, and as you say, Iwobi potentially could be starting. Um, are Neil Taylor and Al Mohamed going to be able to handle them? I mean, if we haven't given Gilbert and Target a run out yet, can we debut them against them? That, I think this is where it's going to be interesting. You look at the wing attack in its entirety, guys. And, you know, you mentioned Bernard, Richarlison, Keane, um, Arwobi. Behind them, they've got Lucas Dean and Seamus Coleman, who are pretty tidy oh, attackers oh, in their yeah. own right. They're, they're up there. So that's a that's a lot on the wings to cope with. Um, and, I mean, you look at Almo and, and Taylor, and I think defensively sound enough, but you need the wingers evolved as well. Tressie Gay and Algarz, if they're starting, they're going to just have to double up as auxiliary, auxiliary wing-backs there because, you know, if, if Everton get the break on the wings... They've got some really, I wouldn't go to say elite, but that is solid Premier League talent really running at you. And the delivery, that they're, they're proven. I mean, you don't have Leighton Baines anymore. He's probably got that sweet left foot. But Lucas Dean is, you know, and Seamus Coleman, they're no turkeys, guys. That's dangerous. In which case, can we justify starting El Ghazi? Because he didn't seem to have an awful lot in his tank. Um, and if we've got Coleman and... Uh, Richarlison attacking Villa at that left-hand side. You know, potentially you've got to look at giving somebody else a run out. Maybe this is the game, by the way, maybe this is the game where you go Trezeguet on the left, El Mohamedy on the right, 
and you'll be a right back. I was going to bring that up actually, and I really didn't want to get shouted down, but that is. <laughs> That isn't a bad number, but it's not a bad shout, is it? When you look at it like that, if you bring Gilbert in, right back, that solves the problem. That solves everyone's debate. But Almo isn't exactly untidy at right wing, and I mean people will be disappointed that he's starting in the Premier League, but he didn't look that bad in the last match out. So give, I think give him a chance. And if it, if it's at the right on the right flank, you've got a hard worker there. Yeah, yeah, you do. I think El Mohamed is one of the most underrated players that we've that we've had like all throughout the whole promotion thing. He's never really been given that stardom. He's never really been given that, um, uh, you know, that 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 hero. Um, what you call it? Sta- that hero standard, basically. That like you know the likes of McGinn and Grealish and Mings have. But I think El Mohamed has been such an important player for us. And when you look at some of the goals that we score, they you know, a lot of them come from El Mohamedi's crosses. I thought his crosses were, were 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 tidy again. By the way, against Bournemouth, I thought I thought his crosses were tidy against them too. Uh, so yeah, I, I've got no problem with them on the right side. Well, Cole, I wanted to know from you if our master plan, our dangerous master plan, as it were, would you think it goes any way to unlocking Everton? Um, I think it definitely could. Um, I think in this game particularly. Uh, you look at their attack and especially their midfield. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how counterattacking uh, wing play really plays into it. Um, but no, I think we can do it. There's no reason why we can't. I don't. It's going to be a tough ask, but at the end of the day, we can only do what we can do, right? So yeah, I'll leave it at that because this turkey's driving me insane. <laughs> <laughs> I guess on a final note then, guys, I want to take some predictions because, uh, you know, we're early into the season to devote a lot of time to previewing a game where everything is so up in the air for both teams as well because, you know, Everton didn't kick off their season brilliantly against Crystal Palace and uh, we've stuttered so far. So, I, I, you know, devoting so much time to that preview doesn't really make sense. But I think focusing on the wings there is uh, key because Everton have a lot of talent there that Villa will have to deal with. And Villa's main issue. Is that fullback again? A wing position, um, which everyone seems to want to rotate. But guys, I want some predictions um, for Villa versus Everton. And Danny, I'm going to come to you first. Scoreline, please. All right. So off the back of getting last week's result correct, I am going to go with this is at home, isn't it? Um, yes. tell you what. Let me let me stay away from the negativity because. I, I I understand that it was quite negative for me to predict a 2-1 defeat. I'm going to go with a one-all draw. I don't know if we're going to be able to uh, score more than one. I mean, I'd like to think we can, but I haven't seen enough from our attacking play just yet. But I do think defensively we've been we've been pretty good. I I, I think I think defend I think defensively that is we we we've been strong. Um, in all fairness, I think what we're going to have to hope to do is just kind of keep working hard or for the full 90 minutes. Um, unlike at Spurs where we kind of collapse near the end. If we can, if we can um, keep the ball for a lot of the game uh, as the home team and try to make sure that we're not, you know, getting absolutely stuffed by, uh, by Everton, I think we'll be okay. I am going to go for a 1-0 Villa victory and I think it'll be a last-minute goal. I think Villa will really want to tighten up. And they don't want to be too exposed. They don't want to commit the naive mistakes again, so I think it'll be a bit more of a cautious approach. I mean, that does contradict kind of what Dean Smith wants to do. But so far, we've been kind of found out and the you know the mistakes have been capitalised on, so I think it'll be a close 1-0 Villa victory and the home support should really play a big part. And Cole, for the last action of the podcast, can you please give me a scoreline prediction? Um, yeah, sure. I'll ask the turkey too. <laughs> um, let's see here. I will go with... I'm going to go with my first prediction. I'm going to go uh, one all. keep it uh, simple and safe. Um, I think we can definitely nick a goal. Uh, most likely with their quality, they will as well. Um, at this point, I think we just need a point, get some confidence back, um, kind of reset our season in some way and just kind of move on from there. Also, I don't know, um, if he's part of 7,500 to hold or not, but a shout out to Trevor hood, uh, cause he made a chart of all our predictions and that was pretty cool to see yesterday. I don't know if you guys saw that yesterday. Oh, dude, we're in com- that- we're in communication with Trevor yeah, all the time. Yeah. He's the executive producer. <laughs> he always asks our predictions. He wants to make Excel charts. He, you know, I do always get concerned about the f- changing the format of the podcast because I know Trevor will, you know, make a, a spreadsheet and it would cause him more work. So uh, I was surprised to see that he'd already actioned by bring you, you know by bringing yourself into it. He'd already made that change. He's on the ball, Cole. Uh, massive appreciation for Trevor Hood, who has done that for a few yeah, 
That's amazing. You know, the first time he did it, I think it was pen and paper. Yeah. He graduated to Excel last season, but the <laughs> two seasons ago it was uh it was pen and paper, but uh, you know, brilliant. You you love to see it, man. You love to see it. It's uh, amazing work from him. And you know, you couldn't be more happier, to be honest, because it does keep a track of all these things we talk about. Um, because I mean we should really do it ourselves, but Trevor's really stepped up to the plate and he's been a, a massive, massive help, especially when I'm getting laughed at for my predictions and he's putting them on paper. because uh, I haven't won. Well, you know, for ages. especially too, because I'm Tom Heaton, Danny is El Ghazi, <laughs> and James is uh, Hata, and I think Phil is Grealish, I believe. The picture's a little blurry, but yeah. <laughs> so uh, I, I don't know if that shows who are like how important we are to this podcast or what. Um, but if that's the case, apparently Phil's the most important. <laughs> yeah. I was about to say, oh, oh, you know, Trevor, I mean, you need to speak up and uh, tell us the reasons why you chose these pictures because uh, it can't just be random. There's got to be some philosophical deeper meaning. James decided to out me on Twitter for looking like Hotter um, for whatever reason whenever whenever he signed. I'm not quite sure if that's true or whether it's still true. But uh, yeah, James seems to think I look a lot like him. I think it was in the first issue when he was wearing his civvies, not the Villa gear. Yeah. He did look like you. Yeah. So I look like Tom Heaton. Does that mean I have safe hands or should I get a lot of slack for yesterday's performance? I'm not too sure. I think your performance on the podcast has been a bit more sturdier than Tom Heaton's uh, 10 minutes yesterday, Cole. So I think you're in the clear. Okay. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, um, one, one final thing. You didn't ask the dog for the prediction. We needed the prediction from the dog. Oh, um, yeah. He kind of sent the paper under the door. Um, and he's going to go with a ridiculous 3-1 Villa because he's like four months old and he doesn't know what he's Fair doing. Enough. So, yeah, he's going to go 4-1. Well, I, I predicted 4-0 last time, Cole, so I don't really know what I'm <laughs> doing as well. It turn out. But, uh, you know, both of you, thank you so much for joining me. Um, the second podcast of the season, I think it's just went just as well as the first. I'm joining a new format, and I hope everyone else at home is as well. If you'd like to re- leave a review, I think we'd all appreciate it. Um, the podcast has changed a lot since... We had reviews from 2015 when I wasn't even on it. So the main reviews that you see on Apple Podcasts don't they're not nothing to do with the show anymore because uh, it doesn't have any American voices <laughs> on because Cole is Canadian. Um, so it reflects the, the old, extremely old hosts, uh, Jack Grimsey and Robert Lintot. Um, so yeah, um, any reviews you can give to kind of update the show, um, give people a, a clearer picture of what it's about now. Um, it's a worldwide Villa podcast. Any reviews will be appreciated. You can follow Cole at Talk Aston Villa. You can follow Danny at Riser Journo. I'm Jamo Rushton, all together at 7500 to hot. And we'll catch you, hopefully, this time when Villa pick up their first point of the season after beating Everton. Fingers crossed. We'll see you next Sunday. Goodbye and up the Villa. <laughs>